Hi friends, welcome to the Trauma Tapes. I'm Dr. MC McDonald. I am a PhD trauma researcher and a life coach, and it's my goal in life to change the way that we define and understand and treat trauma. Here's why. Trauma is not actually a sign of weakness or disorder. It's a biological response born of strength. Without it, we would not survive. So I think the first step towards healing is being able to see this so that we can stop shaming ourselves for being human. I'm here with my sister, Elizabeth Meadows. Each week we read your letters and give you information and advice about how to understand and demystify your experiences and symptoms so that you can heal. We bring together my research with our lived experiences so that we can all better understand and cope with trauma. So pull up a chair, grab a coffee and join us. Okay, welcome to episode 17. Yay, hi. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. We, um, two quick things. We want to do for our 20th episode, a Q&A episode. So please send us questions that you have. They can be about anything, about us, about the podcast, about trauma, about relationships, all the things. Um, email those to thetraumatapes at gmail.com or you can direct message us on Instagram. We're just the trauma tapes at Instagram. And I forgot the second thing. <laughs> Is that the thing from last week that you want to, that we were talking about? Yes. Okay. So will you, you start and then I'll, yeah. Well, I, I was just worried, um, <laughs> a little bit worried after last week because we talked about, um, intergenerational trauma. Is that the right word? Yep. And epigenetics. Yep. Epigenetics. Yes. Okay. In- intergenerational trauma and epigenetics. And I was worried because we kind of touched on um, early life trauma. And the example that we gave was like, if you gave birth during this pandemic, you know, there might be some trauma that could come out in your children. And I just, I didn't want new moms thinking, oh shit, you know, I just happened to give birth during a pandemic. I didn't plan it. And now my kids are screwed up forever and to have that hanging over their heads. So I I was wondering um, how to kind of mitigate that if if that's possible and how we should, how we might be able to frame that up. So it doesn't sound as damning as it could. Yes. Um, so I'm glad you're bringing this up because it is really, I think it can seem really scary if we take the wrong view of what trauma means and what epigenetics is. So if we look at everything in a reductionist way and, and tag trauma as just fully bad and tag stress as fully bad, then it is really scary. But I think if we look at this from a more, I don't know, a, a holistic is kind of the wrong word, but from a more accurate perspective, I think it's actually not scary. So epigenetics is just the study of, of the way that our genes, their heritable changes in our gene expression, right? So the things we inherit and how that changes our genes. And it's funny, I was sending little um, messages to my oldest friend, Jen had a baby um, a year ago. So peak pandemic stress. Yeah. And, um, and Miles, is his name, was was laughing. He's a super smiley little guy and all is well. <laughs> yeah. So um, we give birth during stressful times all the time. And it's we're also kind of looking at the wrong view of stress. So if if 
the pandemic is stressful and that changes our the ways that our genes express themselves and it changes our the way that our nervous system is responding and that gets transmitted to our kids, whether they're in the womb or out of the womb, right? Um, that's just because human beings like influence each other biologically and that doesn't mean anything bad inherently. It's just okay. the way that it works. You could also have stress when you're pregnant that you don't even know about that is changing the way that genes are getting expressed. It doesn't change in these major genetic ways. It's just that these things are relevant to know and they're relevant to know because of hope, not hopelessness. So the more we know about this stuff, the more we can treat things in a way that's like more effective, if that makes sense. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's basically like changing the whole meaning behind the idea Mm -hmm. of trauma, right? Totally. Somehow making that like a positive word instead of a negative word. Totally. I was, um, I was thinking about the startle response earlier because it's a lot of things. Uh, I've seen a lot of clients in the last like year or so that will say like, I'm, I'm, I have a, a, a very intense startle response. Therefore I must have some trauma that I don't know about. How do I find it? And it's not the, the startle response. If we look at that as a negative thing that we have to fix and alter then let's go mining through, let's go get some psychedelics and trip balls into our past lives and find all the trauma and pull it out so that we know it all. Right. 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 Or we can look at the, the startle response as a natural adaptive coping mechanism that is normal right, and is not indicative of anything wrong. Right. Having a, having a, so there's I'm trying not to like get too into the weeds here, but just like one example. So if you have early life stress, again, that is that people are aware of or not, this can change the number of, and the sensitivity of glucocorticoid receptors in your brain, which means you're more sensitive in a certain way, basically to stress that can actually be a positive because if you're more sensitive to stress, that might also code as more empathetic, more intuitive, that might kind of direct your professional path towards the healing, you know, profession Mm -hmm. in a way that's super powerful. If we try to like negate that, we're trying to like delete a critical part of what it means to be human, you know? Yeah. It's not bad. If you had a baby during, during a stressful time, if you were stressed because you had a lot of like health issues when you were giving birth, that's not a bad thing. It's just right. a thing. Right. And if you know that little facet, then if, and if is the thing, if this comes up later where your kid has, is struggling with something, depression, and you now know that little fact, it's like another little Lego piece, which makes you more able to build something adaptive and positive out of that. Yeah. The reason we study that in trauma studies, sorry, I'm flapping so much. I'm throwing stuff off my desk. <laughs> The reason we study this in trauma studies is that is because then we have more knowledge and we can get better like intervention faster. So if you show up as a 20 year old with depression, but it's not chemical depression from like major depressive disorder in your brain, but it comes from early life stress, boom, that's a critical piece of knowledge. So we can give you the right drug so that you stop suffering in this way. It's not like, oh shit, I gave my kids trauma 
And I now, now they're fucked, right? Like you have to, we have to view this from it. We have to stop with that shit. You can't prevent trauma. That's saying like, oh, well, I would like to prevent the, the gene that is, you know, for alcoholism to be passed on in my, in my family line. You can't, it's the wrong question. It's the wrong focus. You can focus on other stuff that that's way more important and helpful. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. And I I think I, I think I had a little bit of an aha moment in that when you were speaking and that it's not, you know, my, my default is, oh, okay. Oh no, this has happened. What are we going to do? What do we do about it? Right. And it really goes to the root of like, you can't stop the, the gene that gives you brown eyes. You can't stop, you know, it's if your understanding of it and your acceptance and your beliefs about it change, then everything else will change as a result. So it's not what we do about it. It's how we think about it. Exactly. Okay. (laughs) Done. Podcast over. (laughs) I feel like I need like a judge's gavel for something. Exactly. 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 Oh, yay. That helps a lot. Okay. Wow. Yeah. I can't believe that you're like my expert in my back pocket. And I, that just occurred to me when well, we've been talking about this for years, but. Well, I've never said that. Like, I've never thought about that that way, you know? Yeah. Do you know what, like where the word trauma comes from by any chance? Yes, actually. Um, weirdly, it has an interesting um, etymology and history. So like the French, the, okay. So it used to just mean wound like literal physical wound. So when you go to like the hospital, there's still like the trauma ward, right? Like that's about, you know, head trauma and like, you know, the trauma of a bruise. And then um, I can't remember the year I could look it up, but in, in French, it started to mean a, a kind of psychological wound that changed your spirit and personality. Uh So the first time it appears as like a psychological thing and not just a physical thing, it's like, okay, there's a type of experience that shifts who you are in the world. And that's a trauma. So William James talked about it as a thorn in the spirit because he wanted to like bring together this aspect of physical and psychological, which I think we should continue because it is physical and psychological as we're seeing it affects our biology. It always has. Right. That's fascinating. I want to find, hold on. I want to find the exact. Um, the French thing. Word etymology is like my favorite thing. I think it's wound. Yeah. It's the Greek literally wound. So it's not, yeah. Thorn in the spirit. That's okay. So the French, okay. Okay. This is sorry. No, in the French, the trauma is defined as a violent emotion that changes the personality of the subject when facing emotion of the same kind. Say it again. A, a, A violent emotion that changes the personality of the subject when facing emotions of the same kind. Yeah. So they're talking about like a flashback, but that makes it sound like it's not the experience. It's the right. How you feel about the experience. Yeah. And what it does to your personality, right? You're in this moment where you're, where everyone else in the room is in the present and you're in the past. Right. Responding, you know, but so it used to be just physical wounds and then it got expanded to, to include psychological wounds. So the event itself is not the trauma. It's the response. That's the trauma. Well, that's an important distinction. It's both. Okay. Right. In the 1500s in France, I don't know that they had that distinction, but like, (laughs) 
that for us, we now know that like that there's the traumatic stressor, which is the event that happens. And then there's the traumatic stress, which is the, the, the way that the, the central nervous system codes the, the memory of that event and how it becomes reinvigorated every time you remember it. Okay. It's a disease of the memory essentially, which is really fascinating. Yeah. And we have to reframe our entire thought process around this. hundred percent. We are coding it as bad. Well, we we think of it as a landmine as something that can be like, Mm -hmm. that we can control that you can avoid and you can't, you can't. I mean, and I'm not saying that you you should just go, we should all go carelessly like careening into as many traumatic events as we can, right? Like you can <laughs> you can shape your life such that you you t- attempt to avoid trauma, but I think when that's our only focus, we're we're really missing something, which is that the trauma response is adaptive. It's there's proof of life in the way that we respond to overwhelm that's really miraculous. Yeah. And if we can focus on that and rethink it and reframe it, we can cut out some of the shame. And when we do that, then we have, we can get traction. Okay. The other thing that I wanted to say when we were talking about epigenetics, sorry, is that none of this is static and fixed. So just because something is coded in your genes does not mean you are, that doesn't mean anything, right? It just means your, your, your biology is primed in a certain way that can be, that is malleable later in life. So if you have really intense, um, developmental trauma, if you had neglect or abuse or incest or something really, you know, extreme in your childhood, that does not mean you're doomed for life. The brain and the central nervous system are malleable, which means you can undo the damage and have deeper relationships after the fact than you might have if you hadn't had it. Right. So it's, it, there is so much hope here. It makes me sad when we just focus on the shame and the. Well, I loved what you said earlier before we were recording that healthy relationships can repair. They do repair hundred percent. It would be the equivalent. If we looked at trauma that way or traumatic experience that way, it would be the equivalent of like you, you get in a, in a car accident and, and the, the, the medics come and they're just like, Oh, you got in a car accident. You're done. Bye. Right. (laughs) Good luck. Right. (laughs) Best of luck to you. Like they just come by and witness it and then leave. Like it's not, you can't know it's, that's the beginning. It's not the end. Yeah. And it shows how deeply we need to like reframe all of this stuff. You know, we just, we treat it like it's something that we can control, avoid, fight, push against. Um, And, And that we should, because it's bad. Right. Okay. Thank you for clearing that up. I appreciate it. Yes. I'm glad you brought it up. Thank you. Do you want to do the letter? Yes. This letter is from Shattered. Dear Trauma Tapes, I've been married for eight years. I love being married. I love my little family. I love my husband. What's the problem then, you ask? My husband has decided over the last six months that he wants to be polyamorous. He had an affair with a woman he met through work, and we were working through that in couples therapy. There was actually a ton of growth that was happening. We were learning a lot about ourselves, about our marriage, about the way our lives changed when we had kids in ways that we had never talked about. I was devastated by the affair, but I was actually really hopeful as we started to work through in therapy. It seemed like we were going to grow from this in a way that would actually bring us closer together, 
which is something I never would have expected beforehand. And then completely out of the blue, my husband dropped another bomb, which is that that this affair showed him that he has no desire to stay in a monogamous marriage anymore. I have no interest in polyamory. Not because I judge it. I think that if people decide that that is what they want to do and it works for them, then they should be free to do that. But I went into this marriage hoping for and expecting monogamy. In one of your episodes, you talked about how we can recognize trauma because it shatters our blueprint. And this has definitely shattered my blueprint. I cannot even comprehend what this is supposed to look like or how to understand a world in which I stay married to my husband while he sleeps with other people. Every time I try to bring this up in couples therapy and talk about some of the ways that I'm heartbroken, both my husband and the therapist continue to point out the way that I've been conditioned to believe that polyamory is bad, monogamy is good. I'm sure that this is in some extent true, but it also feels unfair and it does nothing to help my broken heart. I lose in any direction, no matter what I choose. If I stay, I lose him every time he finds someone new to sleep with. If I go, I lose everything. My husband, our family, the whole life we built. I don't even know what to ask except to just ask for help. How can I help my husband and the therapist understand how traumatic this is for me? If I can do that, how can I put the blueprint back together? Signed, shattered. Mm. It's heartbreaking. What are your initial thoughts? <laughs> it, um, it makes me really pissed off mm-hmm. initially. You know, I feel like the letter writer was bamboozled and, um, and now she's being blamed for it. And I don't agree with that. It's, this sounds like she's being mistreated and it's, I, I, I'm outraged for her. Yeah. I want to scream from the rooftops. I feel like, I feel like it was a bait and switch. I feel like, you know, you, you, you do all this research and you, you know, you drive a lot of different cars and you go to the car dealership and you decide you want a Prius, you know, for all, for all the reasons that you want a Prius, you know, and you buy a Prius and you sign the contract and there's a Prius outside your house every day. And then one day you go outside and there's a pickup truck (laughs) and you think, well, I didn't want a pickup truck, you know? Mm -hmm. And then the, the person who brought home the pickup truck tells you, well, that's just because you don't understand what a pickup truck is. And you say, no, like I wanted a Prius. That's mm-hmm. what I signed up for. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, oh, but it's got this flat bed in the back and all these other things. And you're like, cool, that's great. I didn't pick that. I didn't, that's not what I agreed to. Mm-hmm. You, you dramatically changed the contract here. Mm-hmm. And marriage is a contract. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, to have a therapist make you feel like your feelings are not valid regarding this is outrageous to me. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and, and <laughs> you're good. I don't understand. Like when, when you decide to be, to be polyamorous, mm-hmm. do both parties decide to do that? Or is that just one person being polyamorous and the other person not being? Cause that just sounds like you have a spouse that's cheating on you. Right. So there's this, there's this idea of, um, consensual non-monogamy, which is the idea that like you would both, you would be, I mean, 
that there's an ethical way to be non-monogamous in a committed relationship. So you, yes, it would require that everyone in the relationship consent that this is the relationship. And so you could be theoretically monogamous and your partner could be poly. And as long as everyone has consented to that, that then, then it's ethical non-monogamy. Non-ethical non-monogamy would be if one person is poly and is not sharing that fact with their partner. Okay. And I, I, I'm not being judgmental about polyamory. If that's what two consenting adults decide to do, then that's nobody's business. And, you know, that's your choice and that's fine. But mm-hmm. that doesn't sound like the case here. Totally. I, the, like you, the things that, that speak to me the most in this letter are this, I, this, the enormity of this loss and on top of it, layered on top of that is a complete lack of a relational home. So the person that she's going through this with is not attuning to her and what she needs. And then they're going to this therapist who's also not attuned to her and what she needs. And so this is like a study in how both personally and professionally not to provide a relational home, right? It's of course, it's possible that she has been conditioned to believe that as most of us have, that monogamy is the only way and it's the best way. And it's morally superior than polyamory. That's separate from her preference, which should also be allowed. You can be conditioned to believe in Catholicism, have a moment in your life where you're like, do I, do I want to continue being Catholic or do I not? And then you continue being Catholic and people would respect that. Right. So it's not like her conditioning makes her not capable of knowing herself. And it sounds like that's what the therapist and her husband are trying to make an argument about. We're all conditioned to believe certain things. And then we, by the age of 30, get full access to our prefrontal cortex. And we think things through and we continue believing some things and we stop believing others, right? That's that's allowed. Saying someone's conditioning is 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 making them incapable of knowing themselves or making a decision is gaslighting and it's violent behavior. And it's not okay from her husband or from the therapist. The therapist sounds like a bully. Like if if this is what's happening, then it's time right. to find a new therapist. Right. There are a lot of lousy therapists out there. Right. Just because someone calls themselves a therapist doesn't mean that they're helpful or healing or, you know, professional. Yeah. A hundred percent. I, well, man, but side note, <laughs> sorry, this is not related. I was listening to this podcast called the shrink next door. Oh, I got the, um, like the notification, but I haven't listened to that. Is that the, um, Dr. Death thing? No, no, no. But the shrink next door was about this psychiatrist who, um, is living. This is not like from the 1800s. This is like a real story, like current who had kind of, um, talk about being bamboozled, who had kind of weaseled his way into his patients' lives and taken over their financial affair. So, I mean, I think like we need to, um, all of that is, this kind of, by the way, just fascinating podcast, go listen to it. Cause it's uh, just fascinating, but, um, we don't ever hand the keys to an expert just because they're an expert, keep your keys, let them in the car. They can navigate you, but don't, don't hand them the keys. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think we think that experts know everything. And so, because they, they act as if they do. And so we then just say, okay, I'm going to hand over the keys to my marriage, to this expert. And it's, there are people who are influenced in all sorts of weird 
ways that are not about you or your best interest. You know what I mean? Yeah. But all that is to say, it sounds like your therapist is not a good, a good match for you. And it, you know what, what, <laughs> when you said that, like, you know, she might believe that um, monogamy is better than polyamory. It's uh, n- it's not better or worse. It's just, that's her belief. hundred percent. Whatever friend, that belief is. That. Yeah. It's okay. Right. You know, you don't get to like dramatically change the rules halfway through the game. Mm-hmm. My husband and I talk about that. I don't know why we talk about this, but once in a while we say like, okay, you know, if you all of a sudden became like a Bible beating, like born again, Christian, mm-hmm. like could, could one of us like get out of the marriage? And we're like, yep. <laughs> if oh, yeah. you dramatically change who you are and your mm-hmm. belief system, you know, halfway through the game, like there needs to be like a get out of jail free card. Well, not even just a get out of jail free card, but it's just like, I think we should not try to like put round pegs into square holes or whatever the, the, the statement is, right? Like if, if, if you, you started out in a relationship, I always get, I, I always think about this Esther Perel. She says, um, I hope to be married four times in my life. I hope that they're all to the same person. Oh, because different chapters in our, I mean, we change, like we, we, again, like we are not static fixed things that just move through time. Like we evolve and change and adapt and our interests change and, and all that. And so sometimes that means that the, that relationships expire and maybe we could meet that expiration with a little bit more grace if we don't take it as a personal failing. You know what I mean? Yeah. I like to get out of jail free. That's kind of funny, but I don't, I don't, I don't know why that comes up, but you know, it's just like the idea, like if one of us dramatically changes our core beliefs or values, like what happens, you know, what, would, what would happen? And I, I don't, this won't, this letter writer is in pain and I don't mean to be glib about it at all. No. I just yeah. feel like what you are being asked to do and the way that you are being asked to do it is outrageous. Yep. Well, and the it's it's I don't even think it's about the ask necessarily. It's about the nobody that I feel like she's falling through the sky, and there and people are like they're scrambling around over here talking about this thing, and they're scrambling here. You know, over here they're talking about the plane, and over here they're talking about her parachute or whatever. And in the middle where she's actually falling, nobody's there to catch her, and it's like you know, you have every right to have a change in, in, to have a change in a committed relationship. And, and you have a right to communicate that to your partner. And then they have a right to not change. Right. You know, and I think like in a more extreme example, nobody would be expecting you to just adapt, right? Like if your husband had become a heroin user, right. was like, listen, we've got tons of money because I'm selling drugs and trafficking girls and it's cool, right? Like, I don't understand where your problem is. This is clearly a better way of life. We have more money. We have this beautiful house now with skylights and a pool, yeah. right? Like, and people will be like, oh my God, how could, how dare somebody ask you to make such a huge jump in your values? Right. And this is it, obviously I'm not equating polyamory to drug dealing, but there's a huge shift in values here and there needs to be a renegotiation. And that renegotiation needs to take into account everybody ethically. And 
she's not being attuned to, and she's not being taken into account in this way. It doesn't right. actually sound like an ask. It sounds like a tell, right? Oh yeah. You're, this is how I am now. This is how you will be. Oh, you don't want to be that way. Oh, you're just conditioned differently. You just need to rethink your conditioning. Oh, you still have that preference and mm, go back and re- continue rethinking your, your conditioning. That's gaslighting, right? That's violent. That's not okay. And, and in the face of incredible loss, you need a relational home, not this. Yeah. No one's, um, allowing her the time or room to grieve right. the marriage that she thought she had hundred percent that she signed up for, which if she decided like, listen, I, you know, polyamory is actually kind of interesting to me. Maybe, maybe let's try this. Let's do that. If she was fully on board, she would still have to grieve her old marriage. Cause it's over now. Right. And you, th- there's like, you know, when, when you lose someone through death or, or divorce or, or, you know, whatever it might be, it's like she's not being allowed the uh, chance to be angry about it, right. to be to say, "Wait a minute! Like, right. what the fuck just happened? Where's my Prius? Like, you know, like why?" Right. She she's being silent. They're trying to silence her. Right. They're trying to tell her that she's wrong. Right. Sounds like from the from the letter from from the information that we have. That's what it sounds like. That's what it feels like. Yeah. And I am upset. Right. For her. Mm-hmm. Totally. And totally. if your feelings about this don't change, if you still continue to feel the way you do right now about polyamory, then that's not a great example for your children to capitulate like that in your marriage in order to keep your idea of a happy home, a happy life. Yeah. Then you're tamping yourself down in, in order to make someone else happy. And that's, that's not good. Right. Right. Totally. And we, we are like most of the letters that come, you know, I, I get into the circumstances of the letter right away. And Max always like the voice of reason, like, no, you know, we have to talk about the trauma and, but this one just fires me up in a way that, you know, sorry, we should talk about the the trauma and how this. No, don't be sorry. Her. It's, it's, I think it's a good balance. Cause it's both, both pieces are necessary. You know what I mean? Yeah. But what, what else are you thinking in terms of the, the circumstances? What do you mean? Well, it, it sounded like you were like, like cutting yourself off from saying something about the circumstances. Cause you were like, no, we have to talk about the trauma now. Because I don't think it's healthy to, to stay in something that where you are being asked to be inauthentic. Totally. I don't think that's a good example for your children. I think a better example would be to live your truth outside of this marriage, if the, if the rules of this marriage are no longer working for you, Mm -hmm. you know, people stay together for the kids and, or, or the greater good or the big picture. And that's not always the right answer. Totally. It's often not the right answer. Totally. It's hard. Divorce is brutal. It sucks. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, there's no easy way through it. There are, there's collateral damage all over the place. Mm -hmm. But not being true to yourself and living that life, mm-hmm. if your feelings about this don't change, mm-hmm. is uh, it sounds like a hell to me. For sure. And I, I think, like, I think there's such a good balance here. And because I think that exact thing is really important to take into account when you're trying to rationally make this decision, because 
what you're looking at. If you are viewing this, okay, so there's two paths, right? They're both filled with pain. The one path, you stay in this marriage, your husband is polyamorous, you are not. You lose every time. She said that at some point, right? You lose every time he leaves the house. Right. You lose and lose and lose and lose and lose and lose and lose. And there's grief every time there's a new person he's involved with and, and all that. And, and the other path is that you you go through this little bit where you've got a lot of change, a lot of transition, a lot of loss, a lot of grief, and then another kind of life, another chapter. Right. This doesn't have to be your life, you know? Right. You don't have to keep losing him. Yeah. You don't have to have that pit in your stomach all the time. I think uh, that would be like experiencing betrayal on a, on a daily basis. That's how that would feel. And, 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 and just law and just that frantic, I'm so sad for her because nobody is supporting her. Yeah. And this is a very big deal, you know, like this is a very, that's a very big deal. And, and she's, I'm trying to think of like a good analogy and I can't, but she's like kind of over in the corner being like, okay, I have a need here, right? I have all this overwhelming emotion. I have all this other, you know, I have, I have, I have a need and everyone in the room is going, no, you don't not a real need. Yeah. They're going, you're just not cool enough to get this. Right. Fuck you. Yeah. It's, it's so cruel. It's, it's, it's like unspeakably cruel. It is. And, and, you know, I think that most of us have been betrayed at some point in our lives and, you know, to go back to that feeling, it, it like, it makes me nauseous. It makes me sick to my stomach to think of mm-hmm. enduring that right. to this degree Yeah, in, in an ongoing way. I mean, it's just, I don't know. I mean, it's so, it's so seldom that, that we get a letter where it's just like, well, this is clearly what you have to do. <laughs> you know, and I think there is no, you don't have to make this decision today. You don't have to do this right now. But I think if you go on feeling this way, that this is not for you and you sound very resolved about that, like you've really thought about this, then, you know, this is, this is no longer your marriage and you, you have, you have to leave. Right. And that's, that's okay. I mean, you'll be okay. I think is what I mean. Like in, in it's painful, but do you know what I mean? Like, I, I just, it seems so clear. I, th- I think you letter writer have a lot more clarity than you think you do. It, the option of continuing to be treated the way you're being treated right now. Mm-hmm. I I don't know where this phrase comes from. I don't, I, I can't remember, but I've always liked the idea of who you are in a crisis is who you are. Like mm-hmm. that's your, mm-hmm. and this is who your husband is in a crisis mm-hmm. and this is the way he's treating you mm-hmm. and it is unacceptable. And by the way, not like, because he decided, yep. not because he decided he wants a different kind of marriage. That's okay. That's fine. Right. right. That is fine. Like you said earlier, you, the rules can be changed. Yeah. He has a right to do that. Yeah. Totally. But to turn around and make it your fault mm-hmm. and blame you, that's yeah. unacceptable. And again, again, like, I just want to say this even more explicitly than you just did, which is that we're not actually responding to the idea of polyamory. We're responding to the way you're being treated by your husband and your therapist. Exactly. That's just not okay. 
And I'm not sure you, you can come back from that again, not because it's about polyamory or the affair. She's so, she's so open, right? She, they went through an affair and she was like, okay, cool. Like not cool, but like, okay, there's all that. Let's process that and get through it. And maybe we can actually grow together. She's, she's clearly not like this closed minded, like, no, you know what I mean? Like I, I just, she was hopeful. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I just keep thinking like, it's, it's such an example of how not, not to provide a relational home for somebody, you know, how to right. use a popular new ish. I mean, polyamory is not new, but like this, it's becoming newly acceptable. Right. And so it's, it's becoming lumped in with all of these movements and people are weaponizing it and, you know, to use that against you so that your personal very real pain and grief are ignored is cruel. Right. And that, I don't know that you can recover from in a relationship when somebody is that cruel to you. Right. It's not the betrayal itself. It's the, it's how he's treating her. Yeah. Right. That you're right. That's what we are reacting to. That is the strength of the reaction. It's not mm-hmm. that he's making one choice and you're, it's that you are being ignored and gaslighted and, forced to, uh, potentially forced to not stand in your own truth. Right. Any negotiation like this in a marriage and in any kind of relationship should, should really take into account fully the autonomy and decision-making of every person involved. Right. Fully. Like you, you, you're being, your arm is being twisted and that's manipulative. It's, it's right. It's very insidiously, like it appears on the face of it. Like, oh, I just want to make this change. Let's just make this change. Why can't you make this change? Underneath all of that is like a whole lot of bad stuff, you know? Yeah. Well, Uh, and also that like, you know, maybe that his affair led him to the belief that, you know, so he's justifying the affair by saying now he wants to be polyamorous. So are, is he taking any responsibility for how he hurt you? Yeah, we don't know. But again, those are red flags. Those are big, big, big red billboard flags. Yeah. <laughs> In the relationship. And I don't, and again, like, I don't say that lightly. I, 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 I'm having all these like images of this, of we don't know this person. <laughs> so I don't know why I can like picture her because I don't know her, but um. Because we all are her at some point, like we've all been there, right? Maybe not to this degree, maybe not this exact situation, but there's like an inner warrior that's coming out against all the times we have felt this way. Right. And been made to feel crazy and small and yeah. It makes me want to punch something. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Go ahead. Interrupted you. Let's talk about completing the stress cycle though. (laughs) No, I just have all these images of her and I, and I, I want to like be there and give her a hug and like, and, and, and have someone be there with her in her grief, because this is a big, this is a big loss. It is a big loss. And I, and nobody's, nobody's relating to her. Nobody's attuning. And I, and I just, so here's the advice, right? We we won't tell you what to do. I think we have shared pretty clearly (laughs) our opinion on this. But um, go find people who will attune to you. That is what you need, you know, so that this doesn't become lastingly traumatic because you deserve healing whole relationships in the future, whether that's with your husband or or somebody else, right? Um, 
And the way to get there is to, to be related to now so that you can have, so you can process this grief and loss. And the therapist you're seeing is not the one to do it with. No. And, and, and that, she, that could be your ahead. metric. If you, if you walk into a therapist's office and they start asking you about your conditioning and telling you like, well, have you really, you know, just to p- pick up your purse, walk out of the room, go find another one. Which happens a lot. It takes a long time to find a good therapist. It, this yeah. is not like a one and done situation. This is. I'm sure I've said this on the podcast before. I have had wonderful experiences for the most part and like one or two bad ones. And the bad ones are stunning. Yeah. They're epic. And they're, they're you know, they're out there. A hundred percent. And so she asked, how can I put the blueprint back together? I think the thing is you have to, you're in this place of, I think you have to kind of sit in the room with the shattered blueprint and let it be shattered. I think when we pace together, when we try to pace together the blueprint too quickly, it's just going to fall down again and, and crash, you know? Yeah. I think it's, it's not actually the moment to rebuild. It's the moment to grieve, to notice that it shattered, which it sounds like you're doing right. You're in that already to allow yourself all the emotions that come with that anger and sadness and desperation and, you know, all of that stuff and hope and, um, and, and figure out how, you know, what you want your life to look like. This is not, you've said in the letter, this is not the marriage that you want. And so can you find any little slices of hope in, in a life where you have your own house and you have your access to your kids on your own terms? And I'm not saying that that's easy. It's an incredibly hard transition, but there is hope there. There is another kind of life, you know, try to start spending some time and like sticking some flags in that future. And that's how you rebuild the, the blueprint just gets rebuilt in the background while you keep living, you know, right. Nobody is letting you recognize that it's been shattered and, and that has to happen first. I agree. Who was that from Oprah? Like, I know you're going to know what I'm talking about. You probably already know what I'm talking about before I'm even talking about it. There was this, I remember talking to mom about it. There was an Oprah episode. It was a family and someone was talking about the family said somebody had, there was some catastrophic death Yep. and they, they talked about the family picture falling off the wall and shattered. It was like a teenage boy that was talking about it. I've, I've tried to look it up. I've tried to like go through old (laughs) Oprah episode. I don't know. We're going to have to talk to Oprah at some point because it's. (laughs) <laughs> I, I have really looked long and hard for that because it was so poignant and it, um, I'm going to find it <laughs> good. Please do. Because this young man very accurate, accurately described taking a picture see. off the wall. I can, I can picture him. Yeah. I can probably tell you what he was wearing. Yep. Khaki. Um, yep. <laughs> yep. And, sh- and shattering a picture frame, uh, you know, on the floor. And it was just the perfect example. Yep. It really resonated at the time. Oprah, if you're listening. (laughs) Help us. Just send us a DM. Um, Yeah, it was, it was perfect. That's funny. I'm going to find it. I'm going to have to, I don't know how I'm going to find it. (laughs) You will. You're good at that. I looked, I I went back through like old episodes from like 20 years ago. Cause it, it it was that long ago that we, that we saw. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm sorry if I was harsh. I just, I'm, I'm, don't be sorry. 
I think it's important. People need advocacy when they're in moments like this. I think people need someone else to 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 embody their anger when they can't feel it themselves, you know? Yeah. Lately, I've, I've been having this like image of like going to the top of a mountain <laughs> and like putting my arms over my head and saying like, this is wrong. Like yeah. this, this is wrong. Yeah. And not living there, not staying there, but like the need to say, something's wrong when it's wrong. Yeah. 100%. I I I hope that she finds some peace and I hope that she finds her support. Mhm. Cuz she deserves it. Yeah. Okay, tiny little joys. What? <laughs> I feel like <laughs> I feel like mine are always like big and complex, but <laughs> This is interesting though. Like we, we judge our tiny little joys. Not. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You're right. You're right. My tiny little joy. And I think you're going to know what I'm talking about is that I have this green vase from green, clear glass vase. I think it was from long meadow flowers um, from home. And I often buy fresh flowers for it and put the flowers in the vase. So and funny. Okay. And I, and it it brings me joy because this is a vase that mom had or bought when she went back to work in dad's Mm -hmm. office. And she talked a lot about um, Mm -hmm. having fresh flowers in the office and kind of creating like an environment and like making a home for herself in in a practice that she had not been a part of for a long time. And it just, when I reflect back on it, it's, um, it was a transition in her life. You know, she was probably a whole 40? lot younger than me. Yeah, 40 Yeah, at the time. And it, it just is symbolic of her going back to work and her creating her own space and her, um, like, a, like a life transition for her. Yeah, yeah. And I, it's one of the things, one of the possessions that I've inherited that a lot of them feel heavy and dark and you move around until you eventually part with them. But this one like brings me joy and putting flowers in that vase oh. and thinking of her, that part in her life, that point in her life brings me joy, especially this week when every goddamn email is about mother's day. And, you know, it, it's a way to reframe it for me and make it um, positive mm-hmm. that I'm rambling. Does that make sense? No, you're not rambling at all. That makes perfect. I have such like, I'm like, Yeah such vivid image of her, like in her office, like making that space. And she really did like cultivate like a, a home there for herself, you know? Yeah. But it was important, really important for her to have like these little physical things that like made it her own. And one of those things was this green base. I'll take a picture. You'll remember it. Okay. See it. God. I that's, that's awesome. I love that. I am. Um, it's funny. Is I have a, I have a memory of dad that I've been thinking of all week. That's been like, just rendering me a mess, but, um, the mother's day thing, man, Etsy emailed and said, do you want to opt out of mother's day emails? And I was oh. like, I wish everyone did that because it's painful out here for some of us, you know, like for lots of people yeah, for all sorts of reasons, you know, yeah. and, um, that's really wonderful. It was really cool. It was really cool. Um, I wish I wish more companies did that. 
That's yeah. Cause I feel like they started early this year. I, I don't know. This has felt like, I feel like they started like before, I don't know when Easter was, but like, hello. Yeah. Like are we starting Mother's Day stuff already? And I'm just like deleting, deleting everything. Cause it, it's hard. Yeah. It is hard. It's, uh, yeah. What, what's the memory of dad? You know, I don't know if I can like say it without, um, it's okay. You don't have to. I was hiking the other day and for some reason, just this image flashed of remember how dad, like when any one of us would come into the hospital room or whatever, he would kind of like put his arms out. Yeah. And he'd be like, Oh, Lisa. Yeah. He was so like happy to see us. Yeah. I just have been, I hadn't thought about that in I probably since it happened, you know, or something. I don't know. I haven't thought about it in a long time. And I just, that image came to my head of him kind of putting his arms up. He was so excited. He was in the worst situation, obviously of his life Yeah, in pain and scared and like not knowing what was going to happen and just the shock of it all. And then, you know, one of his kids would come in the room and he would just, he would delight in us in that way. And it was, he did. He didn't want us to be sad that to see him like that. Right. Didn't um, what the hell's his name? Papa didn't talk. Didn't he talk about that in the uh, during Dad's probably, funeral? Probably, yeah. I have the eulogy. I can go find I it too. Yeah. I wonder why that's coming up for you now. I have no. I have no idea. It. It was one of those things that like I have a very like visual mind or whatever. Like. So it's going to sound like I'm hallucinating and I'm not, it's very vivid though. And it comes, it was almost like an intrusive thought. Yeah. You know? Like it was just like, I, I don't know. I was listening to a podcast walking to them just, and I know exactly where I was too. And it was just like, bam, that yeah. it was, it was funny. So I was like, Oh wow. What? I don't know why it's coming up. I just, I feel it was just very lucky, you know, that we had that kind of father. Not everybody does, you know? Yeah. I've been thinking about that too, that, that, um, we are, we didn't have them as long as we would have liked, but God, they were amazing parents. Mm. They were remarkable, phenomenal people who talk about resilience and talk about trauma and talk about developmental trauma, like both had their own mm-hmm. um, negative life experiences. Uh, but I, I am grateful that we had them. Mm-hmm. Totally. They were fabulous parents. Mm-hmm. And I hope they, I hope they know that I, I don't, I didn't say it when they were here and I hope that they know that. I think they do. Yeah. I'm sorry. Don't let that make you sad. It's a nice memory. Well, it's just, it's just like, it's just, I don't know. It's so visceral that it's like, it's almost like arresting. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that exactly, but it's just like that being delighted in like that is just, that's a gift of life, you know? I remember walking the first time I saw him in the ho- in the hotel room. I wish it was a hotel room. And <laughs> in the hospital bed, I like burst into tears, you yeah. know. And he said, "Oh, Lisa, it's just because you haven't seen me like this ever, you know. You've never seen me like this. That's why you're sad." Like he's trying to explain it to me. He's like right. in the fucking hospital bed and he's trying to make me feel better. Right. But it yeah. was also genuine like just excitement. Like he he just he had a way of letting emotions in, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful soul. You're in a hospital bed. You, you, someone comes in, you're excited to see you are excited. (laughs) Right. Right. But it's so funny. You're you're going to laugh so much because my tiny little joy, we did not talk about this ahead of time, but I woke up this morning and, um, 
you know, when it was, it's as soon as I wake up, the alarm goes off and it's like immediate coffee emergency. (laughs) (laughs) Right now I need coffee right now. And so I'm like, I didn't even grab my glasses, which if you know me, I'm like nearly legally blind. And so I was navigating my very small apartment to the coffee. And I noticed that like overnight, this tree right outside the window bloomed. Oh, and I, so it was like the first thing that I saw was these just like outrageous giant flowers. And it's, it was just like it, a shot of literally just like a shot of joy. First thing right before coffee. Oh, I love that. No, that's but exciting. It's funny. We're both talking about flowers, which I mean, I guess it's spring. That's not super surprising, but that seems yeah. serendipitous. It's such a, like the, the whole world changes. Like when the, when things start blooming, it's just, oh God. yeah, it's fabulous. All right. Well, this was a roller coaster of emotions. <laughs> so I, like, I have to go lie down. Yeah. <laughs> Meet up, eat some Cheetos. <laughs> That's what dad always used to say. Yeah, it was. It was. Thank you for writing as always. We're, we are, I, we say this all the time, but we're always honored um, when people share with us. So please keep doing it. Thank you. And, and good luck, letter writer. And yeah. If, if I could take this all away for you, I would. Yeah. We would. Email us back. We'll make you cookies. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We're getting good at it. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Okay. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye.